Imagine you're a fly on the wall at a dinner between the mafia, the CIA, and the KGB. That's where my new podcast begins. This is Neil Strauss, host of To Live and Die in L.A., and I wanted to quickly tell you about an intense new series about a dangerous spy taught to seduce men for their secrets and sometimes their lives. From Tenderfoot TV, this is To Die For. To Die For is available now. Listen for free on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Diosa. And I'm Mala. We are the creators of Locatora Radio, a radiophonic novella, which is a fancy way of saying a, a podcast. podcast. Welcome to Locatora Radio Season 9. Love, Love at first, first listen. listen. We're older, we're wiser, and we're podcasting through a new decade of our lives. This season, we're falling in love with podcasting all over again. And getting to the heart of our stories. We're going places we've never gone before, and we're bringing you along with us. With new segments, correspondence, and a brand new sound. Season 9 is kicking off with an intimate interview with Grammy Award-winning singer-songwriter Natalia Laforcade. What's giving you hope right now? Well, when I see what music does to people it gives me a lot of hope if you liked locatora before you're gonna love season nine subscribe to our show and you'll see why locatora is your prima's favorite podcast listen to locatora radio as part of the michael Cultura podcast network available on the iHeartRadio app apple podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts it's thursday september 15th I'm producer Victor Wright in Los Angeles, and this is The Daily Dive. Although Pornhub wasn't the first tube site, it still remains on top 15 years after its launch. The site was a good partner to studios and creators and helped to promote their content. It changed the way people entered and worked in the industry and even laid the groundwork for other sites, such as OnlyFans. Anna Iovine, reporter at Mashable, joins Oscar Ramirez for how Pornhub changed the world. Next, social media influencers are being given free or discounted beauty procedures in exchange for promotional posts. But now, some of them are starting to regret it. Surgeons, clinics, and med spas cannot advertise through official channels on platforms like TikTok, but they are able to make deals with influencers to make posts advertising their products and services. For the influencers themselves, they say that some of these procedures can be addictive, beginning with lip fillers and Botox, and then moving on to facial surgeries, all to look good for their social media followers. Kat Tenbarge, tech and culture reporter at NBC News, joins Oscar Ramirez for more. It's news without the noise. Let's dive in. And what independent creators might find is if they're trying to do something different than that, like, you know, an artsy 12-minute video, it might not get the views and thus might not sell as much as these other videos that pop off on Pornhub. Joining us now is Anna Iovine, reporter at Mashable. Thanks for joining us, Anna. Thanks for having me. Well, let's talk about an interesting topic, Pornhub, and how it changed the world, or at least the world of porn. You know, it's been around for 15 years, so I guess a milestone for them. But it really just kind of a, it really emerged in what was called tube sites. And just often, you know, a lot of the times it was a pirated content at the beginning, but these things have kind of become the mainstream of the porn world now. And it just has an interesting history, uh, and like I said, the impact and uh, content that this particular site has had. So... Anna, help us walk through some of it. Yes, you're absolutely right. 
Pornhub is a tube site, which is a website where users upload often pirated content for others to stream. And before 2005, which was when YouTube was founded, that was pretty much impossible. Not only was it very hard for non-tech experts to upload content to the internet, but it was also just the technology wasn't there to stream content. So in terms of porn, people often watched through DVDs or they downloaded videos. But when YouTube started, it wasn't it didn't take long for the adult industry to start using that technology as well. So tube sites started popping up in 2006 with the RedTube and YouPorn, and then Pornhub came onto the scene in 2007. It was actually founded by the founders of Brazzers, which is a porn studio. So they were sort of using similar content for their own websites. Right. Yeah. I mean, and at that point, they kind of mm-hmm. knew uh, the industry and uh, with the emerging technology, they were kind of able to marry it uh, perfectly for their purposes. And, you know, just a just an interesting side note kind of on stories I've heard about how porn uh, gets involved in technology. There's this kind of famous story of how at one point the industry, the DVD industry was going to either HD, DVD or Blu-rays. And because the porn industry picked Blu-ray, that became the dominant uh, medium at that point. Uh, So just, you know, they've always kind of been at the forefront of these things. And you mentioned in the article, uh, they're the eighth most trafficked website in the world, right in between Reddit and Walmart. So I mean, you know, lots and lots of traffic going through the site and then just to mm-hmm. continue on all of this you know a, a reason you know because something comes up like this right there was tension in the beginning where content creators all that were having a problem with these tube sites but Pornhub really became a good partner so to speak in, in the business right they were giving a lot of people uh, traffic to studios and whatnot and the partnership is really what propelled Pornhub to be one of the top tier sites What's fascinating about that is Pornhub's parent company is called MindGeek. And MindGeek purchased Pornhub in 2010. And at the same time, they purchased a slew of other tube sites like the predecessors of Pornhub, as well as studios like Digital Playground, Reality King, Sean Cody. So Pornhub is definitely a traffic partner for those studios, but both Pornhub and many of the studios are owned by the same parent company. And so what do we make now of uh, how creators can cash in by using the website? Right now, obviously, one of the other big competitors we hear about a lot about right now is OnlyFans. And that's kind of that direct pipeline, uh, so to speak, for content creators and their fans, right? Uh, uh, you can uh, mm-hmm. create the content, put it out there, people subscribe and buy stuff. How did it work for Pornhub, at least on this front? So one of the experts I spoke to said that Pornhub actually laid the groundwork for OnlyFans uh, with products like Model Hub. So Model Hub works similarly in that it allows individual models who aren't attached to a studio to upload and sell content and subscriptions. So now OnlyFans has a very similar model. So Pornhub is sort of thought of to be the inception of this independent creator boom we're seeing. The other part of this, too, that's uh, super interesting, right? We're talking about the impact that a website in this industry has. You know, it's definitely had an impact even on the content that people uh, take in, right? You go through through, like the popular page, right? And you see a a number of different things. But even when it comes down to uh, the timing, how long a video could be, what uh, things Mm -hmm. are shown in the video, it's kind of reflected and impacted content everywhere else on OnlyFans and, and and other sites. 
On Pornhub, what's really successful is minutes that are a few minutes long, like five to seven minutes, and doesn't involve just one act, but several, and goes one after the other after the other, and shots that are well lit, and you can uh, hear the audio really crisply. And what independent creators might find is if they're trying to do something different than that, like, you know, an artsy 12-minute video, it might not get the views and thus might not sell as much as these other videos that pop off on Pornhub. Yeah, I mean, it's such an interesting thing, right? We're talking about this because uh, this website now is 15 years old, and uh, it's done a lot for the industry. It's done a lot for itself, obviously, as, as, a, as a company and website. But, you know, just the impacts that it's have are pretty interesting. And one of the people you spoke to said, you know, this has really normalized conversations about the business of porn. There's still a lot of stigma associated with the industry, but this site has uh, almost become synonymous with it, right? It's kind of like when you say Xerox or Kleenex, you know, Pornhub is kind of like the shorthand for talking about the tube sites. And that source said that we talk about Pornhub in a sort of sanitized way that we talk about other tech companies like Amazon and Facebook. We don't really talk about the people behind Pornhub. We just talk about, as you said, Pornhub success and how, how huge it is for this industry. Well, we'll keep an eye out. We'll see how this uh, the industry develops, how this website develops, and you know what new emerging technology takes it into the next realm, right? Uh, metaverse is coming out. Who knows what happens there? But we'll keep an eye out for all of that. Anna Iovine, reporter at Mashable, thank you very much for joining us. Thank you again. This is Neil Strauss host of the Tenderfoot TV true crime podcast, To Live and Die in L.A. I'm here to tell you about the new podcast I've been undercover investigating for the last year and a half. It's called To Die For. Here's a clip. All these girls were sent out into the world and they were told, try to meet important men, try to attach yourself to important men. The voice you're hearing is a Russian model agent telling me about spies sent out to seduce men with political power. The war in Ukraine is also being fought by all these girls that are all over important cities. For the first time, a military-trained seduction spy reveals how the Russian government turned sex and love into a deadly weapon. If you want to kill your target, it's easy. You just seduce him, take him somewhere, start having sex and then he's very vulnerable so you can kill him easily to die for is available now listen for free on the iHeartRadio app apple podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts bring a little optimism into your life with the bright side a new kind of daily podcast from hello sunshine hosted by me danielle robay and me simone voice Every weekday, we're bringing you conversations about culture, the latest trends, inspiration, and so much more. Thank you for taking the light, and you're going to shine it all over the world, and it makes me really happy. I never imagined that I would get the chance to carry this honor and help be a part of this legacy. Listen to The Bright Side on America's number one podcast network, iHeart. Open your free iHeart app and search The Bright Side. My face has forever changed. I actually, at the time, was getting flooded with DMs with companies, like, reaching out saying, hey, we would love to have you come in, do a video, whatever it was, to help promote their business. And it was like a collaboration. I mean, why would you say no to free lips or a free nose? Joining us now is Kat Tenbarge, tech and culture reporter at NBC News. Thanks for joining us, Kat. Thanks for having me. 
Let's talk about an interesting story about social media influencers. You know, obviously it can be very lucrative for young people looking to make brands of themselves. And for companies, it's a good partnership a lot of times when they need to get uh, the word out about their products. So there's a lot of, uh, that's kind of how this economy works, right? Uh, I'll post something on social media, I'll give a shout out or, you know, specifically state this is an ad for so-and-so company or so-and-so product and the hits come and everybody is happy. You know, a lot of this is tied to the beauty industry. And now we're hearing about young influencers that are being offered, you know, either free or discounted procedures such as uh, Botox, breast augmentations, other things like that. And they're saying that it can be kind of addictive. They're saying that a lot of them regret it. Uh, So Kat, tell us a little bit more about this. So over the past several years, obviously beauty and aesthetics have always been a huge focus of celebrity, whether that's in the online world or in the real world. But as these trends sort of take place on social media, we began noticing this phenomenon where a lot of really young influencers were becoming more transparent about the different types of procedures that they were having done, some as early as in their late teens and early 20s. And so I started to dig deeper and I spoke to around a dozen influencers with anywhere from under 100,000 followers to over 12 million. And what those people told me is that regardless of their follower size, they had all been offered free or discounted cosmetic procedures in exchange for posting about them online. So this sort of shadowy advertising system kind of came to light. And what I was able to find out was that it's actually not allowed to go through TikTok's official channels and some of these other social media platforms have similar guidelines. Uh, So they can't advertise the cosmetic procedures through TikTok itself, but they can work with these influencers to kind of disguise vlogs or before and after shoots as uh, what are are actually, in essence, advertisements. Right. Who is paying for these? Uh, It's going to be surgeons, clinics, and med spas, which is an interesting subset of all of this. So all of these industries have experienced a lot of growth, but med spas in particular have exploded. And this sort of explosion was occurring before the pandemic. But even now, I feel like I'm seeing more than ever, more than ever, just walking down the street, med spas are popping up. And the concept of a med spa is really attractive to the younger generation because it combines sort of the ease and the availability of a day spa uh, with the idea of getting a procedure like lip filler or Botox. And what data is showing is that a lot of these med spas don't have the right people, people with actual medical qualifications, running them and actually doing these procedures on a day-to-day basis. Okay, so this is an important part of this because there is regulation when it comes to medical procedures, breast augmentation, all this stuff. They need to be done by licensed physicians, professionals, doctors, all that. When it comes to the med spas, it's differently. They can be unlicensed people administering this stuff as long as it's overseen by a physician. But I think you had a stat in the story where it said, uh, you know, sometimes uh, 56% of the times those physicians might not even be on site. Exactly. A lot of times you'll go into a med spa and you might have your consultation with the person who has the license that takes place over FaceTime. They may not physically be in the office. They might work states away or cities away and they might manage multiple med spas at once. Yeah. Now, so not to say that, you know, people are doing nefarious things in these places, but that just kind of proves the point, the ease of access. I mean, it's so much easier to go into one of these places, get the Botox, the fillers, all that stuff. And, you know, it, it's really not uh, very difficult. So let's be- get back to the influencers now. 
give me a couple of examples of things that they're doing. One that you had in the story, uh, there was an influencer, I guess she got uh, $200 off a $600 lip procedure. Yes. And that procedure is really interesting because it's targeted toward individuals who have already had lip filler. So the lip filler procedure really rose in popularity after uh, Kylie Jenner of the iconic Kardashian family revealed that she had gotten them at a really young age, age 15 to be exact. And almost every influencer who I spoke to has had some sort of lip filler procedure and almost all of them cited Kylie Jenner as their inspiration. So the lip blush procedure that's now being advertised is for when you've had so much lip filler that your lips have started to lose their natural pigment. So what we're seeing is the industry is not only serving a larger clientele of younger people, but they're coming up with new procedures. Yeah, no. And that's interesting because, you know, you can see the uh, lip blush procedure, which you're talking about is kind of puts like almost like a little tattoo type pigment on the lips. As you mentioned, that way uh, they can keep that color. But I I I didn't know that you start losing some of that pigmentation with the um, uh, increased amounts of lip filler. So uh, definitely that's an interesting one. And then the feedback loop starts, right? You get the discount there, you make a TikTok post in exchange for that discount. In this example that you had, they got six million views on their account, which is great. At that point, you're getting that free publicity now for whoever did the procedure. The TikTok star could be making money on that part of it as well. And you start craving more and more and more at that point. Exactly. You spoke to a number of people that, you know, they said, you know, it changed my face. It completely mm-hmm. changed my structure. And uh, you spoke to a young man, too, specifically where, man, you can see the change in uh, videos when he was younger to the present day. Uh, his face does look completely different. It's uh, the jaw is more chiseled. Everything looks different. Yeah, it's really extreme kind of the lengths that these influencers are able to go to using material like filler, which wasn't originally intended to enhance jawbones or cheekbones in the way that it's being used now. But in that case, that influencer went to a celebrity plastic surgeon and, you know, asked for this extreme modification and he was able to afford it at that time. It raises another interesting question of how do you upkeep a type of procedure like this? He pointed out that at the time when he got the work done, he was making much more money than he is right now. And he no longer can afford to keep getting that same procedure over and over and over again. So now he's looking at having more permanent reconstructive work done and he's still less than 25 years old. To think that you're making all this money as a youngster, you're going to keep making that money. And now you can't afford what you kind of started, really, the snowball effect of that. Uh, Let's get back to a little bit about how the ads work, because as you mentioned, these people that are doing the procedures, the clinics, the med spas, all that, they can't officially advertise through TikTok channels, through, through the official ad mechanism. And there's a difference between this organic advertising and branded advertising these ads, these partnerships that they do with influencers don't really fall under the same rules. And, you know, I guess the FTC has got uh, suggestions that you should Mm -hmm. be uh, marking things with, you know, hashtag ad. But uh, I think one of the influencers you spoke to said she didn't do that. She uh, positioned it as a shout out to whoever did the procedures for her. Yes. And in that case, the provider requested that the influencer tag them rather than use that ad hashtag, which is interesting because with the FTC guidelines that exist, influencers should not only use that hashtag, but should also make it clear at the beginning, middle and end of their video that what they're doing is, in fact, a sponsored video. In this case, she didn't do any of that. 
And while it could be something that could be a violation of the FTC Act, the FTC really has not cracked down on influences in this way yet. And I feel like it's difficult to judge the, the scale of how this is operating at. But I imagine that it's quite large. Yeah, definitely. Uh, okay, so now responses from uh, from major players in this. Let's start with the um, American Med Spa Association, right? This is a, a big player in this representing uh, these medical spas. Uh, how do they feel about this and, and when stories like this pop up? Because, you know, there's some good statistics in the article, right? The young people in their early 20s and teens, really still a small portion of the overall uh, industry here, plastic surgery and so forth. But it's a growing part of the industry, and, and they've set, acknowledged it. They said their younger people are coming in asking for more extreme types of procedures. Yes. When I consulted with professionals and certified plastic surgeons, as well as people who operate med spas, the common refrain that I heard was, yes, they are noticing that the patients are getting younger. Yes, they are seeing the effect that social media is having on those young people. And it creates a sort of ethical and moral gray area where it's basically up to each provider to determine how they're going to service this young population or if they're going to service them at all. I think with some plastic surgeons, they focus on older patients because older patients typically have more work that they want to get done. There's more of an underlying reason for them to get that type of reconstructive work done. But then with younger people, you have an opportunity to apply these social media advertising techniques and potentially bring in a much bigger population of people, as well as people who may start young and start with perhaps minimally or less invasive procedures, but they age, you know, that's a population that's going to continue coming back and continuing to get these procedures. So it really opens the door to people, you know, being able to profit off of this population starting younger and younger. Totally. I mean, when you look at growth potential for a business, right, you have your set core, right? These would be older people, let's say, and you need to grow somewhere else. So you'd start targeting them younger. As you mentioned, they'll start small and keep going bigger. TikTok, what do they say about all this? Because, you know, the social media platforms obviously always get rolled into this, whether it's uh, Twitter, Instagram, whatever it is. A lot of this is taking place on TikTok because it is a primarily uh, video platform. Uh, what do they say about this? So TikTok is also aware that, you know, the span and the, the size of these hashtags is enormous. And when it comes to advertising on TikTok's platform, there are two different types. There's branded and organic. TikTok doesn't seem to moderate organic <laughs> advertisements as much as it does branded because when you're electing to do a branded advertisement you have to go through tiktok itself and they can approve or disapprove of whatever ads you want to sell through their platform and tiktok actually doesn't allow any cosmetic providers to advertise any of those services through branded ads all of those people however are continuing to advertise by just making the ads organically right. rather than paying TikTok to show this in the For You page, they're going to an influencer who's then making the video and then organically going viral on their own. Kat Tenbarge, tech and culture reporter at NBC News. Thank you very much for joining us. Thanks so much. All right, that's it for today. Join us on social media at Daily Dive Pod on both Twitter and Instagram. Leave us a comment, give us a rating, and tell us the stories you are interested in. Follow us on iHeartRadio or subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. This episode of The Daily Dive was produced by yours truly, Victor Wright, engineered by Tony Sorrentino, and hosted by Oscar Ramirez. 
I'm producer Victor Wright, and this was your Daily Dive. Imagine you're a fly on the wall at a dinner between the mafia, the CIA, and the KGB. That's where my new podcast begins. This is Neil Strauss, host of To Live and Die in L.A., and I wanted to quickly tell you about an intense new series about a dangerous spy taught to seduce men for their secrets and sometimes their lives. From Tenderfoot TV, this is To Die For. To Die For is available now. Listen for free on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Diosa. And I'm Mala. We are the creators of Locatora Radio, a radiophonic novella, which is a fancy way of saying a, a podcast. podcast. Welcome to Locatora Radio Season 9. Love, Love at first, first listen. listen. We're older, we're wiser, and we're podcasting through a new decade of our lives. This season, we're falling in love with podcasting all over again. And getting to the heart of our stories. We're going places we've never gone before, and we're bringing you along with us. With new segments, correspondence, and a brand new sound. Season 9 is kicking off with an intimate interview with Grammy Award-winning singer-songwriter Natalia Laforcade. What's giving you hope right now? Well, when I see what music does to people it gives me a lot of hope if you liked locatora before you're gonna love season nine subscribe to our show and you'll see why locatora is your prima's favorite podcast listen to locatora radio as part of the michael Cultura podcast network available on the iHeartRadio app apple podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts